You were born and raised in Maupin, Oregon, population 300. You're old enough to support yourself now, and you've learned a trade. So you take a job 90 miles south in the small, unincorporated town of Alfalfa, population 400, because all the jobs in Maupin are taken up. You're living pretty good in Alfalfa. There's plenty of work. The young women there, all three of them, are very nice. And, and they're faithful to the Lord. You meet one of them, fall in love, and promise to marry one another at some point in the future. You think you got it made. But your world begins to turn upside down on the day this beautiful young fiancé of yours, out of nowhere, decides that she's going to visit her older cousin in Prineville. She comes back to you three months later with some cockamamie story about how her cousin has become pregnant. But you know there's something fishy about that because this cousin of your fiancé for years hasn't been able to have kids with the geezer she's married to. Either she's barren or he's impotent. So something is not right. Then your fiancé tells you she's pregnant. And you think for a moment, hmm... I don't remember doing the thing you do to have a kid. Did I have a little too much wine one evening and get carried away with myself? Have I just forgotten or blacked out? No, I would remember something. Your fiancé proceeds to tell you the story that before she left to visit her cousin, an angel of the Lord came to her and said she would give birth to the Savior promised from of old. You don't know what to make of this. You figure you'll sleep on it, but it's pretty clear the people of Maupin are upstanding and don't want anything to do with any monkey business before marriage. This, this could be a scandal in the town and ruin your fiancé's reputation. So you think in the morning, I'll just quietly let her go her own way, I'll go my own way, and we'll just forget any of this ever happened. But at that moment, the angel immediately comes to you too. He's real, and he tells you, don't worry about any of this. Marry the girl, and God will take care of the rest. So you do. But if there isn't enough going on in your life right now with puzzling pregnancies and angels that go bump in the night, the state of Oregon decides to have a census. And this isn't the kind of census, though, that where some guy shows up at your door and asks you, how many people live in your house? No, the state wants you to report to Maupin, where you were born. So you can stand in line for two hours just to walk up to some government lackey at a fold-out table and have him ask you, were you born here? Where do you live now? Are you married? How many people live with you? Great. Maupin. 90 miles to the foothills of the Cascades from Alfalfa. You wonder, why can't they just ask me this information in the town that I'm working in? So you pack up your bride, now heavy with child, and head to your hometown. Now here's the thing. You're well known in Maupin. Your family is well known there. Because you're related to the most famous and well-loved governor the state has ever had. Who is also from Maupin. He's long since dead, but everyone knows you to be of the family of the governor. And they respect you for that. 
So you think you shouldn't have any problem finding a place to stay there. Besides, no one is going to turn away a pregnant woman in her time of need. The inhabitants of Maupin are an honorable people. When you stroll into the town, though, you begin to see the logistical problem with the way the state has decided to, to conduct its census. All these people, hundreds, thousands of them must travel in all directions, crisscrossing the state to report to the town where they were born. Whosever brilliant idea it was to do it this way apparently didn't take into a consideration that there might be a shortage of guest rooms in people's homes, let alone the few inns there are in these small towns, if there even is one. Your wife's cousin and her geezer husband in Prineville would surely let you stay at their place, but they're too far away from Maupin. No one in the town is turning you away. Everyone knows you. They'll gladly take you in, <coughs> especially since your loving young bride is about to pop at any moment. But seeing as how you went 90 miles on foot, you're a day late and a dollar short if you were expecting anyone in town to give you their upstairs guest room. There's already a family in there. And it would be rude and dishonorable for the homeowner to kick them out just for you, even though you're well-respected and well-known. People just don't do that in this town. All the homeowner has for you is the downstairs living room where the animals eat and sleep at night. Not the best accommodation, but it'll do. Now, if you think any of what I've just walked you through is relatable in a sense here in your local Oregon context, then you've just walked 90 miles in Joseph's shoes from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We wonder about poor Joseph in the Christmas story. He thought he had his world mapped out. <coughs> he had likely arrived at a position of some financial stability, enough that he could contract a marriage with an eligible young woman in the village. He arranged it with her parents, signed the agreement, that's how marriages were done there in Judea at that time, and he looked forward to entering what his society considered full adulthood, getting married and having kids. But suddenly all that blew up in his face. His fiancée, Mary, or Miriam as she was uh, called in, in, the, in the, uh, the local language, suddenly left to visit her relative Elizabeth down in Judea. Did Mary tell him why she was leaving? We don't know. <coughs> But Luke tells us that she was gone for three months. When she returned, she was three months pregnant. Now, <laughs> Joseph knew he wasn't the father. So what on earth happened at Elizabeth's house? Did that old geezer, Zechariah, sleep with her? Probably not, because he couldn't even get his own wife pregnant. Was she taken advantage of on the road? I mean, what was Joseph... What could, what, he, what could he have possibly been thinking? It must have been with his heart roiling, with disappointment perhaps, more than, and, and a heart that, a little bit broken you would think, that he, that he laid down to sleep that night that, that the angel came to, to talk to him. And that's why I'm having us consider him today among the disappointing sons of Israel that we've been exploring this Advent. Not that Joseph is a disappointment to his father or God, his heavenly father, 
he's not. But think of the disappointment Joseph experienced when things started going south for him, or at least what appeared to be in, from his point of view. Joseph's trade as a maker of things of wood and stone probably left him exhausted at the end of each day. But could he have slept that night that he found out that Mary was pregnant? He had settled on letting Mary out of the contract without making a fuss. In a little village in conservative Galilee, exposing her adultery might have resulted in her, in her being stoned to death. That certainly would have been, it, would, it certainly would have exposed her family to a shame and a, and a scandal. That's still a problem in some parts of the world, even when it isn't here. You don't want anything like this to happen to you in Indonesia or the Middle East, parts of it anyway. That night, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. The angel tells him that the child is a miracle baby of divine origin. He will be the Messiah, the promised one. Joseph obeys the angelic command and marries Miriam without claiming to be the father. He will raise her child as his own. Now, this gives Jesus important legal status in the ancient world. He was an heir of Joseph, a family member belonging to the house of David, the king of Israel. Jesus belonged somewhere. He wasn't just some child belonging to some family that was just anonymous. He's an heir of the king of Israel. And for people of that time, this was critically important because Later on, you know, when we, when we get to Lent and Easter, we're going to hear the stories of how this spurless charge was levied against Jesus by his enemies that he was illegitimate, that he was nothing, basically, a, 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 a sham, an imposter. And if you read the birth of Jesus from Matthew and Luke, they seem to immediately answer that charge at some level. You read right away that Jesus is the heir. He is in the lineage and family of David, king of Israel. And David is of the family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and Adam going all the way back to the creation. Now look, you and I today are not questioning Jesus' legitimacy, right? His legal status. The thing about the Christmas story today is the fact that Joseph had a dream and he believed it. Martin Luther called that the greatest miracle of Christmas, that Mary and Joseph believed any of this. He said it was, greater, it was a greater miracle than the virgin birth and incarnation itself. Well, I don't know about that, but, you know, Luther's trying to make a point, right? He's trying to get us to see that it's a miracle that Joseph believed the angel, that he didn't say, whoa, this is too freaky for me, I'm out of here, I'm run away from this stuff. He believed it, and he followed through. He obeyed the angel, and so did Mary. But do we see our own faith and the faith of the church this way? Do we believe all this as Joseph did? Without the benefit of an angel coming to us at night in a dream? I do. We do, because we confess it in the creeds. Joseph traveled with Mary 90 miles on foot from Nazareth to Bethlehem, 
when Jesus was, where Jesus was born in humble circumstances. They couldn't get the upstairs guest room in whoever's house, but they got the living room with the ox, the sheep, the goats. They didn't get a cradle to put the baby in, but there was a manger in there for the animals with some straw and some cloth bands to wrap the baby up in. The birth of a baby always comes with some hardship. The birth of Jesus comes with great blessings for us sinners. So as we continue this Wednesday evening, this Saturday evening <coughs> into Christmas Sunday morning, give some thought to the wonder of Jesus' birth. Pray for God to give you a humble and pure heart. Welcome the Christ into your living room with your family, your guests, and animals if you have them. Your mighty Savior and Lord has mercy on you and lifts you up by grace alone. So let's pray. O holy child, grant us a, sin a sincere, modest view of our own importance even as you lift us up and exalt us by calling us your children. Amen.